Welcome to the Beltline Church of Christ podcast. We're so glad you found us. Please take a second and hit the subscribe button so that you can be notified of these weekly podcasts. Most of all, we hope this podcast will help you take your next step with Jesus. If you want to know more about us, you can visit us at www.beltlinechurchofchrist.org. Here's today's lesson. You know, the hardest part of preaching a series of lessons emphasizing chronologically the life of Jesus Christ is to know uh, what to emphasize and what not to emphasize, what to uh, really dive deep into and what to kind of let go of. Because if we really wanted to do an in-depth look at the life of Christ, we would be here for years and years and years and years and years. And so reducing this series to a, a shorter span has been very, very difficult And that's especially true when we come to this kingdom manifesto that we call the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. We could literally spend months on this sermon alone, and maybe we should. But in order to continue to move through the life of Christ, we are going to hit a few more highlights over the next few weeks and then continue on with Jesus as he marches toward the cross of Calvary. Now, Trey and I are thinking about returning to this series when this, uh, uh, when this series is over and spending some significant time here, but that is to be determined. I want to go off script for just a second, and there's three things I want you to remember before we, uh, we read Matthew chapter 6. This isn't on your outline, but I think it's something worthy of writing down. God gave me this yesterday, and I just want to give it to you today. All of us, at one time or another in our life, are going to face something. Many of you are in the middle of something right now, and this all connects to what we're talking about here in Matthew chapter 6 today. But I want you to remember three things. I want to ask you three questions. Whenever you're facing, whatever it is that you're facing, I want you to ask yourself three questions. Here's question number one. Does God know about what I'm facing? Does God know about what you're going through? Does he know what you're encountering at work, at school, wherever that might be? Does God know? What's the answer to that question? Yes. Here's question number two. If God knows, is what I'm going through too difficult for God to handle? All right, so does God know? Yes, he does. Is it too difficult for him to handle? No. And question number three is simply this. Does God have a great plan for your life? All right, so the next time you're in the middle of something, whatever it is, maybe you're going through it right now, remember those three questions. Does God know? The answer is yes. Is it too hard for him? The answer is no. Is he ha- does he have a great plan for my life? Yes, he does. And hopefully just that thought alone will change the trajectory of how you deal with what you're dealing with. Now, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in the barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. 
But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Hello, my name is Steve, and I am a warrior. I'm a warrior. I stand before you this morning, and I confess that I know a better way. I see a more trusting way, a way that fits better with my belief that the kingdom of God is here. And I am seeking to follow that way. I just don't always succeed at following that way. Worry, at least in my life, I don't know about yours, but worry reveals the places in my life where I am not obediently following Jesus Christ. Now, I believe that if I'm ever going to overcome this, I'm going to have to learn to stay focused on Jesus, always looking to him, always looking to his word for direction and provision. Here's why. Because if you look anywhere else, all you're doing is setting yourself up for worry and eventually failure. Jesus is the rock that we must build our lives upon. Anything else is sinking sand. You know, Jesus has just reminded us of that uh, in the section right before what we just read. In verses 19 to 24, uh, Jesus talks about how we can't serve two masters, that we're going to have to make a decision. Look at verse 20, 24. No one can serve two masters. He'll hate one or love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve them both. Uh, this is what God says to us. He reminds us that our hearts have room for only one devotion. And that devotion must be God. And not only that, every competitor for that devotion needs to be hated. Every competitor, it, it needs to be hated. It, it's not Jesus plus the law. It's not Jesus plus religion. It's not Jesus plus the world. You see, it's when we have multiple masters that we struggle to find the abundant life that Jesus has promised us. It is when we have multiple masters that we find it hard to simply rest. Because our hearts have room for only one all-encompassing, all-embracing devotion. And when we try to combine our love for him with a love for something else, Jesus plus a nice house, Jesus plus that promotion, Jesus plus the latest fashion trend, we end up in a struggle to remain loyal to Jesus. And then we wonder... <laughs> And we wonder, why? Why do I have this anxiety? Why do I have this worriness? Why is this selfishness there? And the answer is because we don't recognize that those things that we're chasing after are actually a symptom of unfaithfulness, of faithlessness. We look out for number one because we believe no one else, not even Jesus, really does. And so if it's going to be done, I guess I'm going to have to do it myself, aren't I? How many times do we tell ourselves those kind of things? I want you to know that the people to whom Jesus is saying these things knew worry all too well. The large majority of them, unlike the large majority of us, were just simply trying to hammer out a meager existence. They likely uh, knew how important it was just to receive daily bread. And they knew the signs. Right? They knew the signs. If there was not enough snow in the winter, there would be a drought. If there was not enough rain, the food supply was in trouble. If the locusts showed up in full force, if there was an invasion in the land, there wasn't going to be enough for everyone to go around. And so as I think about Jesus writing to them, and then I look at us, and I think, man, we live in an amazingly wealthy nation. 
A third world citizen might look at us and suppose that worry has just passed us by because we have so much, but we know better than that, don't we? That's not simply the case, is it? Because what you and I do in the absence of uh, certain things to worry about, we create new things to worry about. In the absence of real worries, uh, like these people in Jesus' day, we've made up some of our own. I love what Irma Bombeck wrote. She says, I've always worried a lot, and frankly, I'm good at it. I worry about introducing people and going blank when I get to my mother. (laughs) I worry about a shortage of ball bearings, a snake coming up through the kitchen drain. I worry about the world ending at midnight and getting stuck with with three hours on a 24-hour cold capsule. I worry about getting into the Guinness Book of World Records under pregnancy, oldest recorded birth. (laughs) I worry what my dog thinks when he sees me coming out of the shower, that one of my children will marry an Eskimo who will set me adrift on an iceberg when I can no longer feed myself. I worry about sales ladies following me into fittings rooms, oiled slick, and Carol Channing going bald. I worry about scientists discovering someday, this is my worry, I just worry about scientists discovering someday that lettuce has been fattening all along. I don't eat it, so I don't care if it's fattening or not. <laughs> what are your worries? As we sit here today in 2021, what are your worries? Is it financial worries? How are you going to make the next car payment? Juggling bills? How are you going to stretch the Social Security check? How are you going to pay for those braces that your kids need? How are you going to pay for college when your kids go? Maybe you worry about death. Is it going to be soon? Is it going to be distant? Is it going to come in a car, in a plane, in an ICU ward? ICU ward. As we sit here this morning, what are your worries? I love how one French philosopher said it. He said, my life has been full of misfortunes, most of which never happened. (laughs) Or as somebody else said, worry is interest paid for trouble before it's due. Worry is interest paid for trouble before it's due. Worry is faith in the negative. It's trust in the unpleasant. It's assurance of disaster. It's belief of defeat. And Matthew 25, 625 begins with the word, therefore. He's pointing us back to that one master thought in chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. That, that word, therefore, is like an arrow pointing us back that says, because of what I just told you regarding masters, and since I'm urging you to choose God as that one master, I'm going to tell you now, don't worry. And it's these words that guide us through the rest of the chapter. But I want you to notice that in the course of this reading, Jesus didn't say we should never be concerned or we should never show precaution. Some people misunderstand this idea that Jesus is giving us and think that we have to be so totally laid back that we never take a precaution in anything. That's not what Jesus has in mind here. It doesn't mean we go without fire alarms. It doesn't mean we leave our doors unlocked. But there is a difference, you know it and I do too, of healthy precaution and unhealthy worry. And Jesus says in verse 25, listen, isn't life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? And then he uses this great illustration of a bird. The life of a bird. What a life. It goes about its business. It's not nearly as energetic as we are in producing food. He's energetic, but he's not overwhelmed by sowing and reaping. Have you noticed that birds don't build barns? 
Birds don't build barns. Now, does that mean the bird doesn't work for its food? Of course not. He doesn't wake up and open his mouth and say, drop in the worm, God. (laughs) That's not how it happens. He goes out and he scratches and he digs because that's what God has programmed him to do. But he does not get all uptight about it, does he? Listen to this poem. I got two of them for you. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why those anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, well, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such cares for you and me. Or this one. There was a young lady from Ride who was carried away with the tide. A man-eating shark was heard to remark, I knew the Lord would provide. Whichever one you like better, uh, you, you, can, uh, you can go ahead and go with there. But Jesus asked this question here in Matthew chapter 6. Aren't you more valuable than they are? Aren't you more valuable than they? And if it's true that God takes care of these little things, how much more will he take care of you? And then he proceeds to highlight the craziness of worry. He says, can you add an hour to your life by worrying about it? Can you, can you grow an inch taller by worrying about it? No. I, what doctor who had a patient with heart disease would suggest, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a month off of work and just worry about it all month. No doctor would do that, right? Why? Because worry is useless. Worry never changes a C to an A, does it, guys? It doesn't, doesn't do that for us. Worry never changes a malignancy to a benign tumor either. So what worries are you carrying around? Because these words were not just for that crowd that gathered on that mountain that day. These words are for everyone who seeks righteousness from the inside out, like hopefully we are. But these words, listen, these words don't come from a heart's judge who's looking for a way to condemn us. Not at all. These words are given to us from one who loves his people and he wants us to be free of worry, free from fretting. So there's three problems with worry. The first is this. Uh, Worry is just simply focusing on the wrong things. Worry is focusing on the wrong things. It reminds me of Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10, right? Jesus has come over for dinner. Mary is sitting and studying at Jesus' feet, taking it all in. Martha is running around crazy, getting aggravated every time she walks by the living room and sees Mary there not helping her. And finally she's had enough. Jesus, tell her to help me. (laughs) And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're, you're anxious about many things, but Mary's chosen the better way. You see, worry focuses on the wrong things. Focuses on the problem rather than the fixer of the problem who is God. Is your problem, do you think God doesn't know about your problem? Is he not able to take care of your problem? Does he have a good plan for your life? Worry focuses on the wrong things. Not only that, worry is inconsistent. Who made man? Who is responsible for you having a body? Who filled your body with life? And if God did that, will he not also give you the things you need to keep that body going? Not only is it inconsistent in that regard, as followers of Jesus, it is completely inconsistent for, to, to live like I do far too many times with constant dread and worry about what's going to happen next. 
That is so inconsistent uh, with our faith. So worry focuses on the wrong thing. Worry is inconsistent. And three, worry is useless. Like we said, it doesn't change anything. In fact, worry actually works against us. It hurts us physically with our health. And it shows that our trust is not fully on God. So how do we beat this thing? How do we conquer worry in our lives? You see, there are some decisions that we have to make if we're going to overcome worry. And while the power is with God, we've got to decide whether we're going to be eaten away by worry or not. And so I think there are three things that we need to do in order to conquer worry. Here's the first. You've got to let God provide. Let God provide. If he takes such good care of birds and flowers... Surely he knows our needs and will take care of us. Because listen, I want you to get this. He is creator to the flowers and the birds. But he is father to us. He's father to us. Jesus says the pagans run after worry. They run convinced that everything falls on their own shoulders do you see what Jesus is saying? He's saying it's just as pagan to worry about those things as it is to worship a false god. But to his followers, he's saying, what do you do with your worries? Do you drink them away? Do you stew in them? Do you keep putting them into your system so that eventually your body explodes? No, Jesus does something else. He invites us to turn our worries over to God because some of our worries are bigger than us. And so in Philippians 4, the Apostle Paul comes around in verse 6 and says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And his peace will guard your heart and your minds through Christ Jesus. Let God provide. The section uh, of the lesson basically says, look around at how God provides and now believe that he will do the same for you. The real question is, will you trust God or not? Does he know your problems? Is he too small to handle your problems? Does he have a plan for your life? I keep coming back to that, and I just, I want you to dwell on that as we think through this. Now, as I understand the promises of God, God doesn't tell us he's going to remove every single trial, pressure, or temptation that we face. Rather than promising to remove the burdens... He offers to be present with us in the middle of our burdens and to help us bear those burdens. It's so much the blessing of God uh, that he offers us his presence. Think about that. The creator of the world offers us his presence to be with him in the middle of whatever it is that we're facing. You want to overcome worry, start by letting God provide. Second, number two, we need to pursue God's rule in our lives. Pursue God's rule. Matthew 6, 33 uh, says, seek first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and God will take care of everything else, right? So our calling isn't primarily to avoid bitterness. It isn't to avoid lust or to avoid dishonesty. We should do those things, but that's not our primary calling. Our primary calling is a positive calling to seek God, to find our joy in him, to listen to his voice, to find rest in his presence. And when we do that, guess what? 
bitterness, lust, all of those things will become less and less and less in our lives. But we've got to pursue God's rule first. I want to share with you a prayer. I don't even know who wrote this, but I love it. Here it is. Father in heaven, what is man without you? What is all that he knows, vast accumulation though it be, but a chip fragment if he doesn't know you? What is all his striving? Could it even encompass the world but a half-finished work if he doesn't know you? You, the one who are one thing and who are all things. So, May you give to the intellect wisdom to comprehend that one thing. To the heart, sincerity to receive this understanding. To the will, purity that wills only one thing. In prosperity, may you grant perseverance to will one thing. In suffering, patience to will one thing. Oh, give both the beginning and the completion. May you early at the dawn of day give to the young man the resolution to will one thing. And as the day wanes, may you give to the old man a renewed remembrance of his first resolution that the first may be like the last and the last like the first in possession of a life that has willed only one thing. Alas, this has indeed not come to pass. Something has come in between. The separation of sin lies in between. Each day after day after day, something is being placed in between. Delay, blockage, interruption, delusion, corruption. So in this time of repentance, may you give us the courage once again to will one thing. What is that one thing? What is that one thing? It's to seek God first. It's to seek him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. How are you doing with that today? You want to conquer worry? Let God provide. Pursue God's rule. And finally, number three, negotiate one day at a time. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, he says, Don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Some translations say, take no thought for tomorrow, but that's not really what Jesus is saying. He didn't mean that taking out an insurance policy or thinking about the future is wrong. What he means is, don't worry about tomorrow Precaution, yes. Consideration about tomorrow, sure. Worry, uh uh-uh. No. Instead, he says, I want you to live one day at a time. And I love how the verse ends. He says, listen, (laughs) each day's got a trouble trouble and there's enough going on today that you don't have to mess with tomorrow, all right? Tomorrow will be there and there'll be stuff for you to deal with there too, but just take care of today. Conquer worry. Let God provide. Conquer worry. Pursue God's rule. Conquer worry. Negotiate one day at a time. Don't worry about tomorrow. You're going to be lucky enough to make it through today. At the end of World War II, the Allies opened some camps for orphans. And they worked hard to restore them to a sense of security. But in one particular camp, they experienced a problem. The children in this one particular camp would not go to sleep. 
They would put them to bed. They would turn out the lights, but sleep would not come, even though the kids were exhausted at this point. And so, the camp directors brought in some psychologists who recommended that every night, before they tuck the children in, that they put a piece of bread in their hands. And once they did that, the kids began sleeping. Even though they were well fed at this camp, their experience had taught them that there might not be food tomorrow. And so, with a piece of bread in their hands, they could sleep assured that when they woke up, there would be something to eat. What is that piece of bread in your hand? What is it? Jesus says that the bread of life is himself. Jesus said the bread that we hold in our hands is the knowledge that there is a father who cares intimately and deeply about us. And when you go to bed at night, you have in the palm of your hand the assurance that God will never leave you and God will never forsake you. How would that change? How would your life change if you asked God to teach you not to worry? What if your daily prayer was, God, keep me focused on you until I finally, obediently, fully trust you? Because to not worry means to trust Jesus. He is for you. He's not against you. And John 14, 1, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. And when we really trust God, when we really believe in his provision, that that provision is going to free us up in ways that we never imagined. It's going to enable us to be generous because we know that God has got our backs because God is for us. Does God know about your struggle? Does God know about your struggle? Is your struggle too big for God? Does he have a great plan for your life? Then let's turn all worry over to him. Let's let him be God and we be his people. And let's trust that he's in control, that he's got this. And even though he doesn't often work in the way that we think he should, his ways are better than our ways and his thoughts are better than our thoughts. If we can pray for you today, if you're struggling with worry and you want to turn it all over to God right here, right now, I'm going to invite you to come. If you need to give your life to Jesus today, what a better way to release yourself from worry than to know that your calling and election is sure because of your standing with Jesus. Thanks again for listening. If you are in North Alabama, we would love to have you visit and worship with us. Also, if this lesson blessed you today, don't forget to hit the share button and share this message with someone else. Hope you will join us again next week. As we close, here is our prayer for you. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Have a great week.